Hey guys, my name is Ian, and welcome back to the AZ Sports Podcast. In this episode, we're going to be talking quite a bit of NBA. There's been a lot of transactions going on. We're going to be talking about the big trade that happened, talking about the big extension. We're also going to be talking about James Harden trade rumors, and we're also going to end off the episode talking about the Arizona Cardinals and their situation going forward. And we're just going to jump right into this episode. We're going to talk about the big NBA trade that happened. So in case you missed it, the Houston Rockets, they traded away their star point guard, Russell Westbrook, to the Washington Wizards for their star point guard, John Wall, and a future first-round pick. Now keep in mind, I'm going to keep referring to John Wall as a star point guard since the last time that we have seen him play. He was considered a star point guard. Now, this has got to be one of the most unorthodox star player trades that I've ever seen. They're complete unknowns in their in their value. Westbrook, we kind of know what he's going to be giving to that Wizards team, but there's a possibility that he goes into this season looking like the player that he was in the bubble, and in the bubble, he just wasn't that good. And for the Rockets... They get themselves a player in John Wall who we haven't seen the dude play since 2018. And that is December of 2018. So it's been two calendar years since we've seen him play in a professional basketball game. Now we're going to go into Houston's side of things on this trade first. I think that this was a big indicator that at some point, maybe... I would assume in the near future, but sometime before this season ends, James Harden is going to be traded. It feels like they are preparing for life after James Harden. This feels like the like a situation, like the Chris Paul situation last year. He gets traded for Russell Westbrook and Chris Paul goes to Oklahoma City and at a with a team that is clearly looking to be rebuilding. They end up keeping him and building up his value. Trying to show teams that, hey, you guys should come and trade for me. And he ends up do- playing out of his mind, leads the Thunder to the playoffs, and nearly knocks the the Rockets out of the playoffs. And then after that season, the Thunder cashed in with Chris Paul. They sent him to Phoenix and got back some really nice assets. I guess you could consider him like like a showcase player. Somebody, you know, hey, we got this guy on our team. Look at how great he's playing. That's kind of how I feel about John Wall in Houston right now. Now, I don't think that having John Wall and DeMarcus Cousins and Christian Wood, I don't think that's even close to what James Harden is looking for in his team. I I don't think that cha- this changes his stance at all. I think that he will he will be traded at some point. But for the Rockets' standpoint, considering on with that, 
I think this was as good a value as you could have gotten for Russell Westbrook. His value plummeted after this year's bubble. And there was only, it was hard to trade him. He had a fat contract. And the only few teams that were reported to be interested was the Charlotte Hornets and the New York Knicks. I don't think that the Knicks were really serious suitors. But the Hornets, you know, it was a very interesting scenario to think about. But then they draft LaMelo, and then that's completely out of the out of the realm. So you get yourself a former all-NBA caliber point guard who is coming off of an Achilles injury. And I don't think a lot of people know, I don't think anybody knows, but I'm a, I'm a big John Wall advocate. I really like his... Um, I guess I just really like how he plays. I believe that he will go into this season and he w- he's going to show a lot of glimpses of the old John Wall. Now, I'm not saying that he's going to be back to this all-NBA caliber point guard, but I do think that he's going to put on a nice showcase to the point where Houston could cash, cash in John Wall next offseason, maybe at the deadline if they could. And put him on a on a playoff team. You know, this just that's how it feels that it's going for Houston. And Houston, they also get another pick, and they've lost a lot of picks this past year. So I think just getting that. They also traded away Robert Covington for two future picks. And they also bring in a young guy. This all but signals a, a rebuild and preparing for life after James Harden, and I think that they're doing a, they did a solid job at getting, the most out of what seemed to be a, a gross and ugly situation with having Westbrook and Harden still on the team, before this season opener. Now to talk about the Wizards side, I think that this is a, a nice trade for Washington. You know, both of them are unknowns in terms of their playing. But I guess you could say that Russell Westbrook is more of a sure thing than John Wall. You know, like I said, he's been out for two calendar years. And Westbrook is 12, nine months removed from him playing his best basketball. There's a chance that he comes out and is the Westbrook of, I guess, I guess the Westbrook of old. And I think that this is a, you know, they they create a new duo with Russell Westbrook and Bradley Beal. I feel like they're, with that, they're much more committed. They're much more committed to building that duo um, building up that chemistry very well. You know, Harden and Westbrook had their chemistry. They've known each other since childhood. But at that point, you, you know, they know everything about each other, you know. They probably don't want to be told the same things over and over again that they were told when they were younger. I guess they don't want to be the younger brother to each other. I don't know if that makes any sense, but 
What I'm saying is that this is a fresh start for Russell Westbrook with a new star player right next to him, and I think that he's more than willing to commit to making this duo of him and Beal work. And this is a... It's a good deal for Washington. I think that this does puts him, puts the Wizards into the playoff picture. And I think that they do well with this this duo. I, I like this trade for both sides. I don't think that there's any clear loser or a clear winner. It's kind of a wait and see considering that they you know they had unknown value to their teams. But it's a like I said, it's an unorthodox trade. It's an even trade, and I can't wait to see these two players back in action on new teams, fresh starts. It's Everything's looking much more balanced. I like, how, I like this trade a lot for both sides. And since we were just on the subject of the Houston Rockets, we're going to be talking about these, tra- these James Harden trade rumors. As I am recording, it is December 12th of 2020. And the last time that I recorded in an episode, James Harden was completely hellbent on going to Brooklyn. And there was an interesting tidbit that came out just recently, just a couple days ago. That's important, but not important at the same time. He expanded his his list of preferred teams. He added the Philadelphia 76ers, the Miami Heat, and the Milwaukee Bucks. Now, it's not important in the sense that he's not allowed to choose or dictate. Let's go with that. He's not allowed to dictate where he gets to be traded to. He can't just be Put me in Brooklyn. You know, that's up to Houston management to trade him. But it's important because, you know, you see his list. These are all championship caliber teams. You know, let's just, let's go with some irrelevant team, for example. Let's go with the, um, let's just go with the, Let's go with the Orlando Magic. You know, that's clearly not a championship caliber team, but let's just say he gets traded to Orlando. You would think that with Harden's attitude and his demeanor and his based off of his list, he's probably going to be a bigger problem in Orlando because that's not a championship caliber team. So in, in a way, it's basically Harden... Telling these other basement teams, I'll say, like New York or Charlotte or potentially Indiana, you know, don't trade for me. I want to win a championship. So that gives management, you know, less options, you know, less teams, but it's his options are very clear. It's very clear where he wants to go, and that's that makes it easier for a Houston management. 
and man, this is a, it's a difficult list. Where in the world would James Harden go? I would say the most likely would be Philly, since they have the asset that, probably the best asset out of the four, in Ben Simmons, who has been the rumored the rumored player to be traded if he was to be traded for James Harden. But Philly probably would have pulled the trigger by now if they really wanted him. It seems that for now that they're they're hell-bent on keeping Ben Simmons and trying to make this relationship between Embiid and Ben Simmons work. Brooklyn, they they don't have, compared to these other three teams, they don't have, they probably have the worst assets out of the four teams that were preferred. And it's interesting assets, and it would be, you know, it wouldn't be terrible, but it's de- those assets that Brooklyn has, they are, they're not the, they're not as good as what some of these other teams can offer up. Not a whole lot of upside with some of the players that they have. You know, it just wouldn't be enough value for James Harden. Miami, I don't think that they have the best assets either, but it it seems that Houston really values the Miami Heat guard, Tyler Hero. And if that trade were to go down and Hero was the was the centerpiece of that trade, that would be terrible. You know, he had a a couple good playoff games. He had one really good series against, uh, I believe it was Boston. But for the most part, he, he had his rookie moments. He had a lot of bad rookie moments in this year's playoffs that are overshadowed by a 37-point game that is overshadowed by the by the snarl that he had in the finals. You know, outside of that that playoff series, he had he looked like a rookie out there. And that's no fault to him. And I feel bad that he's becoming like I don't want to it's a second year guy and I, I hate that I have to say that you know, he's becoming overrated, but when you look at these unimportant things like 2k ratings and ESPN rankings you know him having the same let's just go with 2k like he has the same overall as Drew Holiday and Drew Holiday you know he's considered as one of the best defending playmaking point guards in the league you know that's not you know that's just as good as Tyler Hero. No, it's not. <laughs> and in a top 100 list, he's above players like... Proven players, I should say. Like uh, DeMar DeRozan. Like uh, like LaMarcus Aldridge. I don't necessarily agree with that whatsoever. And I guess, you know, the media just loves that dude. And I, I believe that he has all-star potential... He can look like a Devin Booker at times, but him as a centerpiece for James Harden, 
they got to give up a lot more than that if uh, if I do say so myself. And then the Bucks. I I wouldn't think that Houston would want to trade away some of those pieces and even then they don't have very many pieces to begin with. I mean, they traded three picks and swapped two picks with New Orleans just for Drew Holiday. So they don't have many picks. And I wouldn't think that they would want to get rid of Chris Middleton. And I don't even think Houston wants Chris Middleton. They probably want to go in the direction of a rebuild based off of the moves that they have made so far. And then outside of that, Dante DiVincenzo and DJ Wilson and Middleton are not going to cut it for to trade for James Harden. But uh, this expanded list to just sum everything up, it, it signals that James Harden is getting more desperate to leave Houston. James Harden wants to leave Houston as quick as possible. I, he only had that one team. He, I guarantee you, he probably only had that one team in Brooklyn first because he thought, you know, I mean, you look at the transactions that they've made throughout his Houston career. He's asked for these certain players, and he got those certain players. Then he asks for a trade to this team, and he doesn't get that. You see this expanded list, and it's very clear he doesn't want to be in Houston anymore. I think that should be made very clear. He does not want to be in Houston anymore. He doesn't want to play with Wall and Cousins for the foreseeable future. But this expanded list, along with his frustrations and going out to to clubs, signals that not only a hardened trade is on the horizon but that he desperately, desperately wants to leave Houston as soon as possible. And now we're going to switch gears to a new team. We're going to be talking about a new player. So in case you missed it, on December 10th, the LA Clippers star forward Paul George signed an extension for an additional four years for $190 million dollars. So essentially that deal would will be 5 years up to 226 million dollars. Now my first reaction to this to the news of him getting that extension was that's a gross disgusting contract. It's a lot of money for a man that played a prominent role in the 3-1 collapse in the semi round in this year's playoffs. But I do believe that this was something that the Clippers had to do. I mean, they gave up a promising young player in Gilgis Alexander. They gave up a pretty damn good stretch four in Gallinari. And then another five picks, and then a swap, and then a protected pick. That's a lot that they gave up just for Paul George. And there was a chance that the disaster scenario would have played out. That after this season, if they didn't reach the finals or make the playoffs, maybe not make the playoffs, but not win the finals, make the finals, make the conference finals even, that Paul George and Kawhi Leonard would opt out of their contracts and 
leave for free agency in 2021. And they signed them, signed him to this extension, so they're going to be paying him until he's 35 years old at for this amount of money. And uh, it's, I don't think he's worth 190 million, or at least 226 in five years. I think that's that's really excessive, especially considering how poorly he played for that Clipper team. But it was something that had to be made. They couldn't let that disaster scenario play out at all. And now, at least half of that is over with. They don't have to worry about Paul George leaving. Now it's up to them to re-sign Kawhi after this year. They can't sign him to an extension yet, but if they... uh, But they gotta wait until... I believe before free agency starts... I believe that they can extend him. Or maybe during free agency. I'm I don't know for sure about that. But I I wouldn't think that you know the Paul George contract is gross, but I don't like that people are making him out to be a terrible player. I mean, this dude is 2 years removed from an MVP finalist and Defensive Player of the Year finalist season. And yeah, he didn't have that great of a season this past year, and he didn't play well in the playoffs this year at all. But he's definitely still a max a max player. I, I think that he could still be a damn good player in this league. And the fact that people are making him out to be, you know, not a star player anymore. You know, he's still an elite defensive player. He's Yes, we've seen those moments of him getting crossed by Jason Tatum. We've seen the game winners that were hit on him. But on-ball defense, I think he's still one of the best defenders in this league. And the fact that people are making him out to be this awful, terrible player goes to show that the Clippers are beginning to become underrated. You know, this is still a team with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. They bring in Serge Ibaka, who should be more consistent than Montrez Harrell. They brought in Luke Kennard. They still have Pat Bev and Lou Will. Yes, it's a lot of different personalities that may not mesh, but I do think that with a coach that I, I believe that they all want to play for Ty Lue. I think that, you know, that's... I think it'll motivate them. They brought back Marcus Morris. They still have Zubots. And it's weird to say, don't sleep on the Clippers. But it's something that has to be said because this team is being overlooked heavily by by fan bases. I don't think by teams, but by other fans, casual fans. You know, this is still a championship-caliber team, if I say so myself. And to end it off, you know, yes, Paul Paul George definitely isn't worth 226 over the next five years. But it was, it's, you know, after I think about it, it's a necessary contract, and 
something that the Clippers had to do to avoid such a disastrous scenario that could have played out. Now, to end off this episode, we're going to be talking about the Arizona Cardinals. So at the bye week, which was week eight for the Cardinals, they were hot off a very miraculous win versus the Seattle Seahawks at home. And they ended off uh, that first half of the season five and two. We are in we have four more games left. They play the Giants tomorrow. And they're six and six now. They lost to Miami off of a short at home. This kicker missed a field goal at home, but he was short of the goalpost. Frustrating. And then they end up getting this miraculous victory over Buffalo. We all know it happened. I don't need to explain that. Then they go ahead, Thursday night football, fresh off of that that miraculous victory. They lose to Seattle. Kyler gets hurt. They lose to New England. They lost to the Rams as well. And this team has take has received a lot of a lot of heat for their performance in the last couple of games, and and deservedly so. You know, this team at one point was having aspirations of. You know, the question was asked: Are they going to win the NFC West? Now the question is: Are they going to make the playoffs? You know, Minnesota is coming back, and then there's a bunch of teams that are at five wins. And tomorrow we're playing a Giants team that is surging right now. They're they're leading the the NFC East. Somehow they're leading the NFC East. And this Cardinals team, you know, a lot is to blame. You know, the kicker. I don't want to go say first and foremost, but that's probably the most notable. Missed a game tie short of a game tying field goal. Ridiculous. <laughs> that's embarrassing. He misses another field goal that would have won, that probably would have won them the game versus New England. He also misses a field goal in the Rams game, which you know it wasn't important, but it's an it's for him, you know or for good kickers, I should say, you know, like a 44 or 43 yard field goal should be a chip shot in his eyes, you know, where, and he keeps missing them. He's not, he's not playing. The kicker isn't doing well. That's what I'm going to refer to him as, excuse me, as the kicker. And then we could blame Cliff Kingsbury. He has these, he's an innovative play caller, supposedly, but then we we just see time after time again, it's the same players on the same downs, and it's the same routes for these players. And to an extent, you know, it feels that Kingsbury is trying to make things too easy for Kyler. You know, we see some of these routes that the receivers are running. Skills Hopkins, for an example. 
frequently, very frequently, his routes are just simple five-yard out routes to the sideline. That's really all it, all it was, and he was always lined up on the left side of the field. And there was a there was a tweet by this Arizona sports host who uh, John Gambadoro. He tweeted the ex you know an explanation for why his routes DeAndre Hopkins routes are just straight up out routes, and he said it was very easy, very simple, and it's that Cliff is trying to make everything simpler for Kyler Murray. He doesn't have to read over the safeties or the corners and the middle linebackers and that he could just go to his first option every play. And, you know, it. in a way it's good to make things easier for your quarterback, but, you can, but in a, another way it's restricting him of unleashing Kyler Murray's true abilities as a thrower. We all know what he can do on with his legs. But these simple little little out routes, you know, are just not always going to cut it. And the fact that he's using his number one wide receiver for short yardage is blasphemous, I'll say. And then you could put some of the blame on, on Kyler Murray. You know, he... Ever since, you know, his little... AC joint sprain, he hasn't been the same player. There hasn't been a lot of designed runs, which, you know, the first game after that, which was against New England, you know, it's fair to an extent, you know, to restrict him with his running. You don't want to get him hurt again. But if that's the case, you may as well just not play Kyler Murray. But, you know, Kyler didn't perform well against the Patriots. You know, he was, I believe he was turnover prone. No, he wasn't. No, he wasn't. Never mind. Um, and then the Rams game, he didn't look that good at all. I mean, outside of the, his one 60-yard touchdown, which was just a blown coverage, he hasn't looked the same. And it it's so, it's unfortunate because that, I'm a Kyler advocate. I really like what he does as a quarterback, as a runner, as a thrower. And we, as as we've seen this team progress throughout the season, we have seen the Cardinals' true colors. You know, they're not that great of a team. You know, this team is flawed in a lot of areas. They don't have a second pass rusher. They don't have a very good D-line. The cornerback groups becoming a little overrated by our fan base. The safeties, I don't I think the safeties are good. I think that's our strongest position as a defense. And then as the season progresses, we also see the offensive line is taking a hit. Your supposed veteran leaders on the offensive line in Pugh and Sweezy are just not playing up, playing well at all. 
Mason Cole is, you know, like he's all right, but you you can always do better. Kelvin Beecham has fallen off a little bit. And Humphreys, I think that he's been our best offensive lineman this year. I think that he's he's looked like an like an all pro, like a pro bowler throughout the season. And then now we also see that this team needs a bona fide second receiver. You know, a lot of these plays uh, that were des- that are designed just seem increasingly for DeAndre Hopkins. That just shows a lot of that the coach doesn't have a lot of trust in his other receivers, and that's crazy to say because Fitz has always been a reliable option. You know, he's not a he's not a star anymore, but he is always reliable with his hands, with his run blocking. And then there, there's not a lot of trust in any of the other guys. Christian Kirk, where has he been the last three games? Uh, Andy Isabella, I, I mean, he's been terrible. I don't, I don't need to discuss him. Um, Keyshawn Johnson, why haven't you played him much? Um, Trent Sherfield, we haven't seen the dude on offense. It feels like this whole year. Play him. You know, it's uh. You know, you're beginning to see these flaws for the Arizona Cardinals. And in order for the Cardinals to win, Kyler Murray has got to be absolutely perfect. And we expect Kyler Murray to be perfect all the time and be an MVP candidate and look like an MVP candidate every single game. And when he's only playing good, the team falls flat on their face. And it, it sucks, you know, it's it's unfair for such a young quarterback to to be put in a situation where he has to be perfect in every single game when this roster is clearly flawed. And you just hope that the management does make the correct moves to add more pieces around Kyler. I mean, it it felt that it was over once they acquired Hopkins, but clearly not. So really there is, you know, I don't even want to blame the defense much for it. I think that they've played pretty solid. They played pretty solid. You know, the Rams game, you know, wasn't that good. And even then they allowed that defense allowed, what was it, like 31, we'll say 31, I think, because they also had a pick six. Um, but in the other games, they did a pretty solid job against New England. I thought that they did a pretty solid job against the the Seahawks on Thursday Night Football. Even though they allowed 28, they only allowed Russell Wilson to under 200. Uh, DK was under 60. Tyler Lockett, I believe, was under 100. I can't remember Lockett at the top of my head. And they didn't allow very many rushing yards. I think they're doing a solid, you know, a solid job on on the defensive end. But then again, there's a lot of there's still a lot of flaws on this defense. 
They don't have the young cornerback talent. They don't have a star cornerback anymore. Uh, Jordan Hicks and Devondre Campbell, their middle linebackers, look very slow. And then they're not, they're not playing Isaiah Simmons as much as a lot of us would have liked, especially coming from a, you know, he's an eighth overall pick. Gotta play him somehow. The defensive line, Jordan Phillips, hasn't lived up to his contract. And then the rookie Dean linemen, they're rookies. They're going to struggle. Corey Peters is out for the year. You know, same with Chandler Jones, but Devon Kennard isn't cutting it at all. Marcus Golden, you know, he looks solid as that pass as that pass rusher right now. I like what he's showing right now. But this team isn't talented enough to be a play be sneaking up on playoff teams just yet. It still seems like they're just another year away, and that sucks because we all once they were five and two or six and three, we all expected this team to be a playoff team. But now that's we're near the end of the season, the se- the team is unraveling. It's pretty clear now that they're they're flawed. They got to make improvements that are necessary to be keeping uh, Kyler safe, give Kyler more options, and open. You just got to open the playbook for Kyler Murray. He, Cliff's got to open up the playbook. They should probably look at a, another kicker, more defensive pieces. You know, they they got a lot of work to do with that, that roster. And if they want to, you know, they, get, they just got to make this offseason a big priority you know this this Cardinals team should not be looking towards the offseason right now they should be looking towards the playoffs but it's pretty clear now what they have to do we see their flaws we just got to make the correct transactions adjustments in order for this team to eventually be a Super Bowl winner And with that, that will be the end of this episode. And I thank you guys so much for listening. And I will be back with the next episode next Saturday. Stay safe, y'all.